I know many of you uh, pretty well. I know some of you very, very well, and you know me. I, I've known many of you for a long time. We've we've been at this church for uh, seven, going on our 18th year now, and so I know some of younger folks since you've been born. Uh, there are others of you that I've known only a short time, and I don't know really that well yet, and we're kind of getting to know one another. There, are, there may be some of you, maybe you're visiting Thanksgiving, or you're here for the first time, and I don't really, we haven't even met, so I don't know anything about you. Um, there may be people that will listen to this sermon online. We have people who listen from all parts of the world, and you may be listening to this in a few days, and, and we've, we've never met, we'll never likely meet. Um, but there is something that I know about you today, and, I, and whether I've known you my whole life or your whole life, uh, or whether I have, uh, I've only, we haven't even met yet, I know this about you, and it's this, is that you have all kinds of troubles. You have all kinds of, of problems. Uh, we are all sufferers. We are, if you are in Christ, we are all. We talk about this, saints, sinners, and sufferers. So the, and there are all kinds of troubles we can have. We can have personal troubles. We can have health concerns. We can have relationship problems, conflicts, parent-child challenges, marital issues and difficulties. We can have financial hardships. There's not enough in the bank account, and we feel that pressure this time of year. There are medical bills that are piling up. We can have job troubles. Some of you, you're, you, you know that Monday morning, tomorrow morning, there are, there are problems that are waiting for you, and, and you're going to have jump, to jump right back into that. Some of you have experienced trauma, uh, be it abuse, neglect, abandonment, and you still... That you still that still profoundly affects you in your life today. Some of you deal with dark thoughts, with despair, discouragement, depression. Some of you have learned, even this last week, some difficult news, maybe in your family, and uh, something that was shared with you, and, and that's weighing on you today. And so th- there are those personal problems. And then there are those problems that we all, we all uh, share in, in our world. There are political problems, there's crime, there's natural disasters, there are there's poverty, there are wars, and on and on and on. There, there are lots of things we would like a lot more of, but trouble is not one of those things. We don't want more troubles. And so this passage that we're going to look at, it has a word for all of us. It has a word for you, my fellow sufferer. And, and, and this is the word. I'm, I'm, I'm summarizing it in a quote from Ray Ordland. He's a writer, theologian. Um, Listen to how, he, how succinctly he says this in connecting with this passage. He says, God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. Just think about that. We've been seeing, what child is this? And so God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is, is a child. As, as he's looking through the lens of Isaiah 9 here. There's over 300 direct prophecies concerning Christ in the Old Testament that describe the, the character and nature of the Messiah. And this is one of them in Isaiah 9. So many of, many of those prophetic passages, they give us very specific details about the, the birth and life and the death and the resurrection, ascension, return, reign of Jesus. And, and they're not predictions that are just vague and general. It's not like the Nostradamus kind of kind of predictions if you've read any of those. They're, most of them are really ridiculous. 
and uh, he, 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 he was a 16th century French mystic and, and he had wrote down all these predictions, most of them by staring into the stars, some of them by staring into boiling water and, uh, and had all these you know, profound predictions. But they're very vague at best. And many of even his followers would say most of them were just plain wrong. Um, but by contrast to that, the, the sheer specificity, the, the amount of detail in the Bible's prophecies is staggering. It's staggering. And I'd encourage, we can't investigate that all right now, but if, that, if that's something that, that you, you, you want to investigate more, do it. It will be well worth your time. And so once you really look at them, you, you come to something like the birth of Jesus and you can't, you can't deny that, <coughs> that this is not... This can't be coincidental. It's not something that just happened. No, the birth of Jesus has God's stamp all over it. Nearly a quarter of the Old Testament is prophecy, and the dominant theme of that prophecy is what? It's the Messiah is coming. It's about, it's about coming. Advent. And so Isaiah 9 is one of those prophecies, but it's, it's also it's a song, and that's why we're treating it in this series. It's, it's not in, given in this didactic, just... Here's the prophecy. It's, it's given in verse. It's given, it, it written poetically for us. And, and that's why I, it's, this, it's this prophecy song. And it's not amazing in terms of the details that it gives us regarding the, the circumstances of Jesus' birth, where he'll be born and how he's going to be born. It's amazing in terms of its description of who Jesus would be and what his purpose would be, what he would be like. And so... The context of Isaiah 9, we read the passage a moment ago, but we have to rewind the clock about 700 years before Jesus' birth. And so there was this rising power in the Middle East called Assyria. And, and all the other nations in the Middle East, they were all starting to get nervous about how strong Assyria had become. And so they formed this alliance to defend themselves against this great superpower, Assyria. And they wanted... Jerusalem's king, King Ahaz, to be part of their alliance. And so they appealed to him, but Ahaz, he didn't want to. There was bad blood between him and some of the other kings, and so he, he, didn't, he didn't participate, didn't want to participate. So those other kings in that alliance, they threatened to invade Jerusalem and, 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 and replace Ahaz with a king who would join them. And so the armies start making their plans to, to come against Jerusalem and invade Jerusalem. And King Ahaz is in panic mode. He's all in a tizzy trying to, to figure out what to do. And so, so word gets to the king of Assyria that this, these plans are forming. And so he goes to Ahaz. And he says, I tell you what, if you join with me, I will protect you. I got your back against that alliance. I won't let them do anything to you. They won't touch you. And so both, both sides now are appealing to Ahaz. They, they're, they're saying, hey, you can, if you want to save your skin, you need to join us. And so Ahaz doesn't know what to do. And, and so God sends the prophet Isaiah to him, and, and he tells him, don't join either side. The Lord will protect you. God will protect you. And so Ahaz is nervous about this. Isaiah can see it. And so Isaiah says, don't worry, I'll give you, I'll give you a sign. From God, and you'd think Ahaz would be really excited about that, but he instead he says, "Nope, I don't do that. I don't want to sign." Now we're not told exactly why, but I think he was probably thinking something like, "Well, if if God gives me a sign, then I will be forced to obey Him," and he doesn't want to be backed into that corner. 
So Isaiah says, so you don't want a sign? I'll tell you what, I'm giving you one anyway. <laughs> and so in Isaiah chapter 7, another familiar passage that we, we read often at this time of year, he says, this, the sign is this, a virgin will give birth to a child. Now this can be a little confusing. If you've studied through Isaiah, I know there's a class going through that right now. Because what we're saying this is talking about Jesus, and it, and it is. But there's, there was likely a fulfillment of this, at least a partial fulfillment, in Ahaz's time. And we see this child referenced in Isaiah chapter 8. But it, but it becomes very obvious that the real, complete, uh, total fulfillment of this promise would come later. The shoes of this prophecy are too big for this other child because this child starts being described in these most incredible terms. And we read this just a moment ago. And so you see this in verse chapter 9 again, verse 2. The, the people who walked in darkness have seen this great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep, deep darkness, on them light has shone. And he speaks of him. You, you have multiplied this nation. You have increased its joy. And, and, and this, this yoke, this rod, you have broken. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And these glorious attributes, his government will rest on his shoulder. And have this name, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And there will be no end to his government or to peace. And he's going to sit on David's throne forever. This is an incredible description of this child. Now here's the Debbie Downer moment. Ahaz ends up rejecting all of that counsel. And what does he do? He makes an alliance with the king of Assyria anyway. And that decision didn't just... It, it's not that it didn't help him, but it eventually backfired in a big-time way. And so Assyria came against them try to, and, and, to, to capture them. And then Ahaz just completely loses. He's just trying to do anything to keep the kingdom together. And he's sacrificing to all of these other gods, thinking maybe if I sacrifice to this god, maybe they'll help me. And he's just going, looking around and grabbing at anything. I, I get this picture of like this sad image of somebody who's gone to Vegas and has gambled away almost everything, everything he has, hoping to strike it rich. And he's just got a few bucks left in his pocket. And his, his hope is I'm going to hit it rich on the slot machines in the airport you know, on his way home. And just think, I'm going to win it all back. I mean, that's, that's where Ahaz is. And so, so <coughs> at the end of his life, the, the legacy Ahaz leaves, leaves is to have led Israel into all kinds of idolatry. And it led ultimately to their exile. This is wonderfully encouraging, isn't it? <laughs> but it is encouraging in that it points us to Jesus. And that's what we'll see today. Isaiah tells them, he tells us that God's answer to their problems is a child. God's answer to everything that terrorizes you is a child. In a, in a very real, dire, seemingly hopeless situation, <coughs> this impending attack, God gives a promise about a Messiah who wouldn't be born for 700 years. How does this prophecy speak to that situation? How does it speak to us today? And we'll see that now. So first point that, that we'll, we will uh, see this morning. First thing I would say is this. Is that ultimate answers to our problems will be given in Jesus. Ultimate answers to our problems will be given in Jesus. I'm bringing this into our context. So, like I said from the beginning, I know I'm speaking to a room full or partially full with day after 
Sunday after Thanksgiving, but full of people with troubles. We are all sufferers. This preacher is not exempt. Um, and so like King Ahaz, you, you and I, we have enemies that are larger than us. Problems that are bigger than us. And we really need God's help <coughs> with them. Excuse me. And I want to be clear. We're, we're talking about the ultimate answers that will be given in Jesus. And we'll, we'll emphasize that in a moment. God does help us. He will help us in the present. He, he will. Just, just as he offered to do in this story in Isaiah. God answers prayer. Scripture makes that very clear. God, we believe He heals the sick. We believe He restores relationships. He provides for the needy. He does these things. He hears us when we pray. He cares for us. He helps us. He he acts. We could go around this room this morning sharing stories of ways in which we've seen Him do those things. And, And even when He doesn't take away the trouble, and He doesn't always, He gives us grace to help us to endure. But the big point God is making here is that the ultimate answers to our problems, to our troubles, will be given in the reign of Jesus. That's the emphasis. You see, ultimately, all our needs require this eternal solution. They do. I realize so many of our prayers, they tend to focus on temporary, uh, temporal answers, and understandably. So we have bad health, and we pray, God, God, heal and rightly so. We should pray for that. And if he does, that's great. But at some point, you will still die. So any healing you ask for, and, and he may grant, it's only temporary. Your body is going to eventually decay, and it's going to break down, and you're going to die. But the Messiah that was promised here wasn't coming to simply help temporarily. That's not the extent of it. Not just to win this battle. Not just to heal this sickness. No, he was coming to end all battles and to rid the world of death entirely. That's the scope of this, this promise. And so when he, re- when he reigns, he will, he will completely restore. He will, he will abolish wars. He will take away sickness and pain. He will, he will deal with loneliness and depression finally and fully. All of those things. That's ultimate healing. And so until then, we, like they were in Isaiah 9, we're waiting. We're waiting. You may be thinking, oh, wait. When Ahaz heard this, Jesus hadn't been born yet. So I get he was waiting. But now, Jesus has been born and the world's still a mess. If you've ever tried, if you've ever witnessed to a, 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 a Jewish person, this is, this is obviously, uh, oftentimes, it's one of their, the, the kind of their hang-ups is in evangelism. is they say, hey, you, you, you know uh, Jesus came, what's the difference? I mean, the Holocaust, that's a post-Prince of Peace uh, coming into this world, not pre-reality. Uh, and so, do you, you call that peace? So, this is, this is a struggle. And so, but here's what we find. This is, this is the mystery, and I don't mean mysterious, but something that God unfolds in the revelation of Scripture, is that the Bible says the first time Jesus came, that first advent that we're remembering, he came to defeat sin and death. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, is what Jesus' own words. He came to do that by dying on the cross, rising from the dead. And so that's because our primary problem isn't bad health, it's not, it's not bad relationships, it's not armies who want to wipe us out. That's not our primary, ultimate problem. Our primary problem is that we are sinners separated from God. 
And so Jesus on the cross, He defeated our sin and He defeated death and He has offered victory to all who will receive it by faith. But when He comes again, at His second advent, His second coming, He will rid the world of all pain and suffering. That's yet to come. And so the first advent, it, it brought redemption from, for our sins. The second advent will bring relief from our suffering. His first mission, deal with the, the penalty of our sins. Christ taking that on Himself. When He comes again, He's going to remove the very presence of sin. And He's going to bring justice and peace on earth forever. All our troubles will be gone. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. I and mean, we're so thankful for the, the grace that we know now to help us in this world full of troubles. And we who are believers in Christ have so many spiritual blessings in Christ. But it is not done. It is, it will be, all of our troubles will be gone. And so this reality is why the Advent is more than looking back at the Incarnation. Because Christ's mission isn't complete. He's, we're so, we're still waiting. For now, we, like Ahaz, were given a promise and we wait for its fulfillment when all ultimate answers to all of our problems will be one day given in Jesus. So we wait. We wait. But here's the glorious news, and this is the second thing I would like to say, is while we wait, we still have Jesus. We have Him. Now, God gave those Old Testament saints this promise of, of a future fulfillment and ultimate fulfillment. <coughs> and Ahaz, he should have trusted the Lord. What God spoke to him through Isaiah. He should have hoped in this promise. And, and many Old Testament saints did. And this, is, this was their salvation. They were saved by faith, longing their confidence in this Messiah who would come, believing in Him. And we stand in a different place today. We do. We, we stand on the other side of the cross in the empty tomb. And, and so because sin has been dealt with by Christ's first advent, we who trust in Him now, now we have the power, we have the, the presence of Jesus Christ. Always. It didn't, the Matthew's Gospel closed out with that great commission, but the, this promise that's attached to that, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now there is an end of the age and it's still coming and we're still waiting for that fulfillment when all of our problems, well, they'll get ultimate answers in Jesus when He comes and reigns. But until then, we are not left alone. We are not. And the, and the one Isaiah and the other saints, Old Testament saints, hope for, we now know. We know His name. We, we, he's come in the flesh. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. And, and, he, and now He is present with us. The Spirit, and so verse six. He, uh, I want us to jump down to verse six. <coughs> we have these four incredible names for Jesus. This, this is the one who is with us while we wait, and they're all relational names. They're not just descriptions of his attributes, but they're. This is who we have, and so I, I'm stating these in, in, in relational ways. Let me just say first, he's the wonderful counselor, and as as the wonderful counselor, he knows what we need. He knows what we need, so follow Him. He says, wonderful. I know we, it's not, we think wonderful, we just mean really good or really nice. She's such a wonderful person. It's the most wonderful time of the year, you know, this kind of thing. But, 
But the, the idea of this word, it's full of wonder. Wondrous. Awesome, we could say. Jesus, Jesus was the in, incarnation of God's awesome glory. He's wonderful in that sense. And he's counselor. Now again, not just in the terms that we think of counselor, we think of a therapist, something like that. You know, we, but don't picture a leather couch and a guy with a sweater vest with his soft voice and, and soothing kind of thing. That's not it. Um, it it's not, the, the idea of this is not someone you tell all your problems to. Though Jesus, you, he says, you can tell him your problems. That's not the idea here. It's more of a, the word counselor, it's, it's a military strategist. It, that's the idea. Someone who can help us when we're facing major problems in the context, attack, siege, invasion. And, and, and so he can, he can help us develop plans and those kinds of things. The, the New English translation, which is a good translation of the, of the Bible, sometimes referred to as the Net Bible, it, they translate this extraordinary strategist. Wonderful counselor is an extraordinary strategist. That's good. And so Isaiah predicts a baby that will be this extraordinary strategist, one who is able to deliver his people from helpless situations. And he's saying to Ahaz, trust him. Wait for him. This is where you put your hope. Ahaz doesn't. But what we see is that, that one of the main ways God helps us in, the, in, in, in most of our problems is by allowing us to see how awesome and wonderful he is. He's a he's counselor, he helps, but seeing how wonderful he is is part of the way he helps us. And the greatest help to us in the midst of life's problems is seeing the awesomeness of Christ. This is why we, we, we go here all the time. He is, he is a wonderful counselor. And so the awesomeness of Jesus, it doesn't take away from the reality of your problems, but it, it does put them in a proper light. If you're overwhelmed by a problem, overwhelmed by a temptation, think about this. In Christ, you have an extraordinary strategist. You have the presence and the promise of the one who upholds the whole universe by the word of his power. And, and, the, and you have the absolute approval of the only one whose opinion really matters. And so God offers to Ahaz what he most needed, this extraordinary strategist, but Ahaz refuses. He refuses to see that God's answer to everything that terrorizes him is a child. But Jesus, the wonderful counselor, is, is he's, he's the one who can deal with hopeless situations. He knows everything we need. Let's, let's follow him. Let's follow him. Second, as, as the mighty God, Jesus has all power. He has all power. Trust him. Trust him. The story that I, I came to mind, I was thinking about, there's so many places we could look in the gospel accounts and the life of Christ to see this, this fulfillment of Jesus being mighty God. But, but the, I was thinking of that image of Jesus calming the storm. It's, I think it's one of the more underrated miracles Jesus performed. And in, in right at the beginning of his ministry, we find one account of this is Mark chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples, they're on their first boat trip together. And there's this terrible storm. They're fighting for their lives. Jesus is in the back of the boat asleep. He's got, I can just imagine, like his pillow over his head just so he can, 
he can, they won't wake him up and they're freaking out and, and all worked up and fighting this storm. And Peter finally yells out, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you, do, you, do you not care? And Jesus stands up, he looks at the storm and the text says, this is the literal translation, he, he rebuked the wind and the waves. He looked at the wind and the waves and he said, knock it off. He rebuked him. You rebuke, rebuking is what you do when something or someone is underneath you. You rebuke a child. You are not to put army men down the toilet anymore. You know, you rebuke an employee. You know, you're not to come in an hour late every day. But Jesus, he rebukes the weather. He rebukes the weather. Why? Because he's in charge of it. He owns the weather channel. Um, he just stands up and turns it off. I, I picture like, you know, when somebody's alarm is going off in the parking lot and somebody's bumped your car or whatever, they push the panic button on accident and some guy comes walking up embarrassed like, oh, I'm sorry, that's my car and, you know, click, click and, and shuts it down. It's like Jesus stands up and says, sorry, sorry, uh, that's my storm, uh, click, click, it's done. It's just like, I own it, so I handle it. So what do they say? They say, who is this? Who is this that even the weather, the wind and the waves, they obey Him? The whole point, He's mighty God. He is is a God of unlimited power. I mean, that's how the whole Gospel of Mark opens up. It's like this WWF match. Everybody's lining up to take on Jesus. Jesus versus disease, winner, Jesus. Jesus versus demons, winner, Jesus. Jesus versus weather, winner, Jesus. Jesus versus death, round four, winner, Jesus. By the time you get to Mark 5, it's like Mark's just saying, all right, anybody else? Just bring it, you know. Nobody can stand. He's mighty God. He, the Messiah, Jesus, is mighty God. And His might is displayed in His power, but that's not the only way. His deity is not displayed only in His power. His, his might is seen in what He was willing to go through to save us. It's not just power over wind and waves and demons and disease and even death, but the mightiness of a love that would do anything to rescue us. We see our mighty God at the very end of the Gospel of Mark, too. The God who could command the wind and the waves and, 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 and tsunamis and, and meteors and everything else. This is the same God who, who crawled on His face through the Garden of Gethsemane. Submitting Himself to the horror and darkness and humiliation and torture of the cross so that He could rescue us. He's mighty in power. And he's mighty in love. He's mighty to save and so when Isaiah wrote these words, Israel was facing one of, the greatest, one of its greatest crises. They faced fierce enemies. It looked, seemed hopeless. What could they do? And they had a hard time believing that they could trust God. What would, what would be the strategy that would save them? So Isaiah counsels Judah to trust God's strategy, trust the baby. Who, who will you trust? When your marriage is falling apart where do you turn the finances are drying up who will you trust when things are just going all wrong who who will you turn to you can depend upon jesus he's mighty god 
is all power necessary for whatever problem we face. He is, he is the one, the only one who can help. Third, as, as the everlasting Father, He takes full responsibility for us. So what do we do? We rest in Him. We rest in Him. The, this is kind of an odd name for Jesus, isn't it? I always, always kind of tripped up by this one. And uh, that we call Jesus everlasting Father. Because as Christians, we believe that Jesus is the second member of the triune God. He's, he's the Son of God. And so normally a son is not called a father. But here, that the son, this promised son, promised child is called the everlasting father. And the reason God gives him that name here is because Jesus would be to us in relationship as a father. Back in this time, the, the term father, it was often used of a king who would protect and support those under him with care and authority like a father does his family. And I think it's in that sense Isaiah is saying this. And so Jesus will be a king who protects and supports his people. He will take full responsibility for us, not just for a, a little bit, not just for a time, but for forever. Forever. Everlasting Father. If there's anything we ever needed in a Savior, it is a new and a restoring and a, and a keeping Father. I know, I know you, you hear things like this, the, the fatherhood. Uh, it, it may conjure up all kinds of ideas for you. Um, for some of you, some of the greatest pain in your life goes back to a messed up relationship with your earthly father. Um, I know some of you have had wonderful fathers, good relationships with your dads, great memories, and thank God for that. But some of you, perhaps many of you, um, it was or is not, not good. Maybe he was abusive. Maybe he just wasn't ever there uh, because of divorce or because he was just too busy. Maybe you just, maybe all you can remember is how disappointed he was constantly in you. And that was voiced or understood. Maybe he was never really, never really connected to you emotionally or in some other ways. And so now, he, even if he's alive, it's kind of awkward when you're around him. And, and, um, and, and the holidays, that really brings these things to light. But even if you had a good dad, the, the best of dads, he, they, dads still disappoint us, right? Um, C.S. Lewis was said in, 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 in this light of Isaiah 9 here, Jesus' everlasting father. He, he talked about how dads were to be to us by God's design like a, like a ray of sun. He says we're, we were to feel the love and acceptance and security of our earthly fathers and that was to be like our training wheels to teach us how to love and relate to God the Father. Now, for many of you, though, your father has been more like a cloud that obstructs your view of God than a ray that leads you to him. So, so here in Isaiah 9, we see this description of the Messiah that, that, that screams salvation to us. He will be called the everlasting Father. Rather than never being satisfied with you, Jesus accepts you fully as you are. The Messiah's salvation, the, 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 this promised Messiah, the salvation that he would bring, it, it, wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be for those who were good enough, for long enough, that, and, and then they could be saved. No, Jesus' salvation was this announcement, this proclamation of his acceptance of us based on the work that he would do for us. 
And so he would live the life we were supposed to live, die the death we deserve to die in our place so that if we would accept it, we would be fully, immediately forgiven, accepted. How does that speak to us? I mean, Jesus, the everlasting Father, listen, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, he could not love you more than he does right now at this moment. If you had, if you had been perfect your whole life, he wouldn't love you more. If, if, you, if your life has been nothing but a series of mistakes and failures, and, and, and yet he, he doesn't love you any less. His acceptance is a gift. All you must do is receive it by faith. Even that's a gift from God. He, he, he's, not a, he's not an everlasting father. He's not, he's not a ticking time bomb father, like maybe some of you have known or we all struggle to be. But he is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He is consistent in his love for you. He doesn't blow up. He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't go into a rage. Yes, there are times that the Lord disciplines us because he loves us. He's a father and he allows painful things to happen to us. But it's for our good. It's never to take vengeance on us. It's never because he's exasperated by us. It's never because he's having a bad day and, and we, we just, we're just irritating him. It's solely for our good and because he loves us. He's not an absent father, but he's, he's always present. He will never leave us or forsake us. Never. And so Jesus, the everlasting father, that should thrill our hearts, brothers and sisters. No matter what you're facing today, rest, rest in him. He takes full responsibility for you. And then last, as the Prince of Peace, he, he reconciles us. While, while we were still his enemies, he reconciles us. So let's bow before this Prince, this Prince of Peace. We, we, what a wonderful image. We live in a violent, violent world. I mean, we, I'm, we're sick of violence and anger and hatred and hostility all over the place, on both sides of the political aisle, <coughs> in every corner of the globe. It's there. We need the Prince of Peace. <coughs> when Jesus was born, we're going to look at this passage in a, in a few weeks on the Sunday right before Christmas. We, this, this angels announced that this peace was coming to the entire world. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so this peace, it's a gift from God. It's a gift from above. And Christ, Christmas is a reminder, as we're going to celebrate, it's a reminder of, of the reconciling peace that Jesus secured through his birth, life, death, resurrection and so as the prince of peace he reconciles us while we were still enemies he came not only to be born but to die for us god shows his love for us in this while we were still enemies he died for us and so he invites he invites all who to trust in him to know this reconciliation to 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 be reconciled to god through christ and if you haven't done that you can do that today cry out to him in faith and trust in Jesus. But, but there's coming a day when He's going to bring universal peace. And we hope in that. Until then, though, we, have, we do have peace with God, we're told, through the blood of Christ. And we're called out of that to live at peace with one another. But Jesus, this is the whole point. And so backing up. So all of our ultimate, all ultimate answers will be given in Jesus one day when he reigns until then though we have Jesus and he is wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father 
Prince of Peace. He, he has given us everything we need in himself until he returns. Follow him. Trust him. Rest in him. Bow before him. Now third and finally. And this will be brief. The greatest danger for us now is that we will try and replace God with something else. So let's go back to Isaiah 9. Ahaz, he's not content to wait. He's not content to trust God and, and what God has promised and the, the deliverance that God has promised to give. So he makes this alliance with Assyria. And his thought is, if God doesn't come through, well, at least, well, at least I have this alliance. And ultimately, this alliance, this com, this compromise, it, it leads to all kinds of disaster. Assyria turns on them. Uh, Israel turns to idolatry. Ultimately, they were carried off into exile. And so all of that came from, re- not from, not from rejecting God, but trying to supplement God with Assyria. And so the great, listen, this is my point, the greatest spiritual threat to your life, even now, even as believers, it's, it's not outright rejection of God, but it's supplementing God with something else. The Bible calls this idolatry. And some of the last words John spoke, flee, brothers and sisters, from idolatry. Here's what this may look like. You, maybe you're lonely. You're not content to, to wait in, in your place of singleness that God has you right now. And rather than trusting God, you compromise on who you date. Because you're unhappy in your marriage, rather than trusting God and to, 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 to work things out and to give you the help you need in it, and rather than waiting on Him, you, you look outside of the marriage for happiness. Because you're not happy with your income and how much God has given you, you, you rather than trust God for what you need, you, you supplement what God has promised and you, you go into debt for the things you really want. Because you're angry about your past, rather than trusting God you, and, and forgiving, you, you harbor bitterness. I mean, confidence in God alone, Him alone, and patience to wait on Him, satisfaction with His presence, this is... This is what gives us stability. And, and it's incredibly dangerous when you look to other things and when you try to supplement God um, with other things. And this is what God says to Ahaz in Isaiah 7. Is Isaiah 7 verse 9. He says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Isn't that profound? If you're not firm in your confidence in God and what He is doing, you're not going to be firm. Your life's going to fall apart. Kingdom's going to be, fall apart. You're, you won't be firm enough to say no to temptation. You won't be firm enough to say no to bitterness. This is for us. You won't be firm enough to, to, to live with uh, the, the despair and restlessness and dissatisfaction of life. You, you, you must be firm in faith, confidence in God. Believe in what God is doing, who He is, what He's done, and what He's promised to do. And so it's, it's faith. This is, this is the life of us as believers. It's trusting Him. Trusting Him alone. Not, not, not um, trusting in something outside of Him, thinking we can supplement Him. That's, that's, the great, that's the danger for us. It's not saying, ah, God, whatever. No, we say, yeah, I believe in God and. I am looking to something else to fill what I think this, 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 this inadequacy in God. He can't help me here. He's not enough here. And so we look to something else. But here the word of God 
if you are overwhelmed with the problem and that's the temptation for you today, God is in sovereign, loving, tender uh, control over all things. And in the present, you get the presence of this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Trust him. Well, the whole theme of the Old Testament, the whole point of Old Testament prophecy is is that what we most need in in what we most need, what we most need in terms of salvation is not something that we can work up from ourselves, it's something that must come from above. It's a gift. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. The, that's, the, that's the message, that it's coming from heaven. We should wait for it and believe it when it comes. And, and so this is, this is what we see in the context of Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 starts out by saying, Nevertheless, the, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Now what comes before that, nevertheless? What's it pointing back to? You look back in, in the very end of chapter 8, the last verse of chapter 8. He's talking about the situation that Israel's in. Verse 22 they, Israel, will look to the earth, but behold, only distress and darkness and the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. And then what? Nevertheless, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Unto us a son is given. That the theme of the Bible, that what we see unfolding is that salvation, the salvation we need is something only God can give. It's not something we can give to ourselves. Salvation, again, it's of the Lord. God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. It's Christ. Are you scared to stand before God? Are you scared to die? Look to Christ. Is your family in disarray? Look, look to Christ. Are you overwhelmed by an addiction? Look to Christ. Have you hurt your kids because you've failed as a father, as a mother to them? Look, look to Christ. Have you been hurt by a bad relationship with your parents? Look to Christ. Hope in Christ. Hope in Christ that one day all of our problems will have ultimate answers when He returns. This is our ultimate hope. Rest in Christ now, knowing that He is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is, and He is with you and He will never leave you nor forsake you. And then, and then resist. Resist trying to supplement Christ. Resist that temptation to think, ah, maybe He's not sufficient. He's not enough. And try to supplement Him with other things. Our hope is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that You would use just not not only our time today but this this time of year that uh, we won't be distracted by the 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 rapid uh swirling currents of consumerism that just are 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 ever present uh, but that we will we will be slow we'll slow down we will embrace waiting we will embrace longing um, we will we will dwell upon christ and that we would follow Him, we would trust Him, we would rest in Him, we would bow before Him. And so give us, uh, again, eyes to see Jesus in, in, in fresh ways, Lord, through Your Word. And, and as we gather together each, each Lord's Day, we pray in Jesus' name.